Want to become an AI trailblazer in the product world? Pragmatic Institute's newest workshop, AI for Product Professionals, is your ticket to generative AI mastery. In this hands-on training, learn to master ChatGPT and prompt engineering to transform your product strategies, rapidly create content, optimize workflows, and make razor-sharp product decisions fueled by data. Don't just keep up with the AI revolution, lead it. Seats are limited. Enroll today at pragmaticinstitute.com slash AI workshop. Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris at Pragmatic Institute and your host for this episode. And today I am very excited to welcome back Dan Corbin. Dan Corbin is one of our instructors. He is a product manager, thought leader. He is really, really passionate about the intersection of product and development and design and the type of really great solutions that can be created when all of those are really working together. So welcome, Dan. This is going to be a lot of fun. It's so great to be here. I love talking product management, design, all of these topics with you. And this is a really interesting topic. Like When product management and design come together, and then you add in the element of AI and mm. all of the possibilities, what does that all add up to? A hundred percent. And we're going to dive really, really deep into that. But, but before we do, Dan, for those who haven't had the pleasure, as I have, of working with you in the past, give us sort of your origin story. Like how, like when did you first realize you were passionate in sort of the product area and, and how'd you get where you are? You know, it's interesting because you mentioned the word passion. And I think to be really, to really, really excel at product management, you do need to be passionate about it. My career started as an engineer and I was a web developer. I did a lot of backend systems and I liked it, but I didn't love it. I wasn't passionate about it. And I was always the customer facing engineer that they would put out there. Is it because I was really bad at engineering? Perhaps. <laughs> Why? But I did love working with the customers and understanding what problems they needed to solve it. So I had worked my way up the kind of the corporate ladder and I had served as a, did a couple of VP roles at some tech companies. And that's where I really realized that, oh, you know what? I can utilize some of these product management tools like A-B testing. I first really learned about product management, the craft, uh, while running a distance learning company and saying like, all right, how can we boost our bottom line. So we did A-B tests. We uh, use a lot more, we did a lot more data-driven results. We really dove deep in with our customers to understand what problems they need solving. And that's when the light bulb really went off. And I read Marty Kagan's Inspired, which is kind of like the go-to book, one of the go-to books for product management. And so then I said, okay, well, this is exactly what I want to do. Because there's other parts of being an executive that's not so much fun, <laughs> the, the building. So that's when I dove in and I worked at a, a different companies. I taught, I've been teaching product management now for over eight years. And then I've been, I've been an agile coach for over 12. So it all came together. And now that I've worked at lots of different companies, startups, midsize, large companies, and I've worked in so many different domains, B2B, B2C, a lot of backend AI product or AI and machine learning. It all kind of culminated in me ending up at Pragmatic, which for me is just the absolute perfect fit. 
I get to work with product people from all over the world, tackling all different types of problems. So I couldn't be happier. This is this is really my happy place. And Dan, having you here is just amazing. All right. So we are going to dive into sort of AI at the intersection of product and design. So to start, let's set the table right. Let's Dan. What do you mean by AI at the intersection of product and design? So one of the things that comes up when we talk about like, all right, well, what do product managers do? What do designers do? There's confusion and it's going to be different at every company. And one of the great tools that Pragmatic has put together is a responsibility matrix. And it lists out all of the different areas where product management and design intersects. So you have user research, you have provisional personas, you have your Nahito visits, you have user journeys and customer journeys, buyer journeys. So there's lots of different areas, even prototypes, concepts. So it's sometimes there's a lot of confusion around roles and responsibility. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this responsibility matrix helps eliminate those that confusion and say, okay, design is going to take the lead in this area. And then this is the role product management. Maybe they're just going to participate, but maybe they're going to help enable and really be supportive, but they're not going to be taking the lead. So it's a good way to figure out how can those groups work really well together. And now, Dan, is this a prescriptive tool that tells you exactly what to do? Absolutely not. We give you variables to consider when filling out this responsibility matrix and thinking about, all right, well, what does it make sense? Who really should take the lead on some of these user research? And when we're going out doing, uh, you know, observations or interviews. So yeah, because it is so different at every company, we definitely try not to be prescriptive, but we give you the tools to decide how will it work best for us. And really to have that forthright conversation, right? Like I obviously it was a very leading question, but but it but it's because I mean you have different sized product and design teams in different organizations, different Absolutely. levels of maturity, different levels of other priorities, right? So there isn't as nice as it would be if there was like a you know, one plus one equals two everywhere. It's black and white. There's not the case, but it's really important. And what the tool helps you do is to do it deliberately, to do it with intention so that everybody knows for this project or for this time, here's how everyone's roles are. And it just, it really Mm -hmm. removes the tension because it sets everyone's expectations correctly, right? If you and I have very different expectations, there is nothing you can do to make me happy because I'm aiming for a different place. So Really yep. having that roles and responsibilities conversation and using the matrix tool to do that really helps set projects up for success and teams up for success, right? Absolutely. Yep. Excellent. But like like you said, that one of the reasons the responsibility matrix is important is there's a lot of places that these intersect, right? There mm-hmm. is a lot of gray area between design and, and product and a lot of overlap uh, and occasionally some underlap. And I think in listening to you talk about this before, what's really interesting is, is you think a lot of those intersections are places where AI can really potentially help or really yes. uh, do those. So I think it'd be great to like walk through some of those intersections um, and talk through this. How's that? Yeah. And there are certain areas because, you know, over the past six months, I've been doing a deep dive into all different types of AI, what tools are out there, how it can benefit product managers. And some of the areas where I'm seeing where AI tools can really push the process forward, because oftentimes you're understaffed either on design or product. So hopefully these tools can start to make up for the, some of those gaps and allow you to discover and gather the, the information you need faster to make the right decision. So I see these tools as an accelerant, but there's some cautions we need to think about as we go through these. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And we'll talk about the pros and the 
are not necessarily the cons, but the yellow lights, the flashing yellow yes. lights. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So let's, let's hit sort of that first intersection. But let's do user research, right? That's okay. a place where we would be, we would tell both product managers and designers that they are not doing their job mm-hmm. if they're not doing user research and talking to their users in their market. I think this is a great place to start because one of the big things that we're always emphasizing is the importance of Nihito, which is our acronym for nothing important happens in the office. You have to get out and go out and talk to people, understand, get in their native habitat to understand where the problems are happening and what is the context, the full context of that problem. Now, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. You can't shortchange that process, but you can make it more efficient by leveraging some AI tools out there. So some of the tools that I've been playing around with, there's a Figma plugin called Coco. It's got a very interesting spelling. It's Q-O-Q-O. I mean, exactly how you'd spell Coco. What? <laughs> it's exactly how you think Coco's spelled. Yeah, Q-O-Q-O. <laughs> and this is really good because I know a lot of product and design teams are already leveraging Figma because it's a very powerful tool. Mm-hmm. But it's great because you can go in there and start to describe the user, describe the situation, under like articulate the problem that you're trying to get better understand. And it can suggest really helpful questions based upon the user, the situation. So some of it, it's a great way to get an initial draft of how you're going to dig in. What's really cool is it even gives you like an opening statement because you want, anytime you're interviewing someone, you don't want them to be nervous. So you don't want them to feel Mm -hmm. they can't be very honest with you. And if they're going to, they don't like things about your product or, but you want them to be very honest. So they give you like an opening thing to kind of set the table. They give you good questions. They break it down. So it is a good initial draft. So, and that's just to clarify. It's a, so I give them context about who I'm talking to and, and, mm-hmm. and why. And they're going to kind of draft me some market research questions, some some ways that I could start the conversation and some good questions. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I've done this with students where I would say, all right, well, tell me about like, they would say like, oh, you know what? I have an upcoming Nihito visit. I'll say, all right, well, let's let's talk about what topics you might want to dive into. And so we would go through, we talked and I presented, I was like, what do you think of these questions? And like, oh, these are great. And some of them are obvious, like, oh, yeah, like, well, yes, I know to ask about A, B, and C, but I love that they brought up this. Mm-hmm. That's a really mm-hmm. good one. Mm-hmm. So now we never want to be too prescriptive. and You don't want things too scripted. You want to ask open-ended, yeah. kind of get that stream of consciousness with the, the, the user where they're kind of just naturally sharing the context. But I think that the, this tool does a nice job of actually formatting the questions in a way that's open-ended and high gain, which is one of the things that we really stress Absolutely. in our classes. And again, like you said, just sometimes giving you just even one other idea or one other dimension that you might want to yep. explore is a great add-on right there. Yep. And so much of product management is just, I have always been very close to their product people and designers because it's a good place. You want sounding boards. Yep. So this is a good way to go and just get additional ideas. Other things that I found really interesting with user research There's a tool called Craftful, craftful craftful.com. One of the big challenges that product and designers have is there is a lot of data, but it's hard to track it all. In our class, we stress the importance of articulating and documenting market evidence. So what is the evidence that this is a problem that needs to go out and be solved? But if you think about, you get feedback from Mm -hmm. the support, you get feedback from sales, 
you have your big customers, you have executives who are asking for different things, you have enhancement requests, you have a competitive analysis. So, you know, you send out surveys. It's really hard to track all of that. Well, what Craftful does is that has these plugins. So if you want to plug into your support system, so say you're using Zendesk or something like that, it'll pull everything in. You can upload information. And what it does is the AI will go through, scan it, and then summarize and pull up the insights for you. It actually gives you a percentage. So one of the things, you could either do a hard count. We've seen X number of instances where this is a market problem. Or we could also say X percent of the market based on our data is dealing with this problem. Mm. So rather than going in manually, trying to pull all of that data together, sift through it, and then summarize it, Craftful is automating that using AI. And it's built, it was founded by product people for product people. So it's the big challenge that I've seen. And there's other companies, there's a company called Artifact, not the news aggregation and news app, but another company, and notably is another company. So there's companies automating what has been typically a lot of manual work for product and designers. Well, and that, I mean, I think, you know, back in the day when we were younger, the problem was you didn't have enough data, right? Now you just have so much data. (laughs) The problem is sifting through it. And I mean, Craftful, and it it is spelled with a K. This is a big thing. Apparently nobody nobody wants to spell the words like you think they'll be. (laughs) But Craftful with a K, I mean, that is a really powerful place. It does it, do you know, does it also enable you? So we've got you know, we've got our CRM system and our customer support system and, and our other systems. And are there options to like when we think about market visits and win loss reports and those yep. kind of things that may not be, they may be system based, right? You may have something like that, or it may be more of an individual report. Can those also be fed in? Because it's the same kind of thing. I've got lots of amazing richness and I need to be able to zoom out and see the trends. Craftful is really great because you can plug into existing systems, but you can also add in your own information. So you can upload, you can point in that different data repositories, whether it's you're pulling in your win-loss analysis or whatever it may be. So it's great because it will just pull it all together and then look at it and let the AI take over. And so it is a big time saver. Plus, this also fights against that noisy 20%. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get there like, no, we really need to do this. When people are verbalizing, vocalizing, be like, well, let's go to actually to look at the data. What we're actually saying is this is a bigger problem. So this is going to empower product managers and designers to kind of push back on that noisy 20%. And it really just takes your user research, your existing research yep. and data and makes it a lot more accessible, reportable and usable. Absolutely. I love that. Very succinct. Exactly. Right? That, I think Craftful has a new tagline. Good slogan. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's one more user research tool that we've both played around with a little bit that's, that's quite mm-hmm. intriguing. Synthetic users. This one is fascinating. So they essentially are saying, hey, we've got all of these different types of personas and information on people in different areas. And we can go through and generate information based on those type of users. So this is where you are fully working in the digital realm and you are working with their synthetic users. And having played with this, they will, you go in, you explain it, and it will generate a lot of information. It's very, very robust. But this is where I would, if if my product managers were using this, I would be kind of, be like, hey, we need to be very cautious. This is not our native data. 
Now, I'm sure there is a lot of great information. Obviously, if they're going to put the promise of creating synthetic users, they need to have it be a lot of data-driven. However, again, going purely digital, that's a little worrying because we know when you dive in and talk to people, even if they're in the same industry, they have the same problems, they're going to be a little bit different and they're going to use your tools. And so I like the idea of using this for maybe a provisional persona, Mm -hmm. but a refined persona or to map out an, an entire, you know, user journey or something like that. It makes me a little nervous. And I, I would caution maybe against using it for a final product. It feels like maybe something that could get you to an MVP that you would mm-hmm. then use. But you know, what I mean, when we talk about design, we're talking about human centered design. Yes. And I think there is a huge risk if we replace that human with an AI, no matter how sophisticated it thinks it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So you mentioned provisional personas, Dan, which is something I'm very familiar with, but not everybody is. That's not necessarily provisional versus refined. So can you help us out and talk about what we mean by provisional and how it's different than a refined persona? Sure. Now, when you're, now personas are really important. They are going to help give your team guidance and they're great. One of the challenges product and designers have is building alignment throughout the company about Who are we helping? Why are we helping them? Help us understand the world that they're living in and their day-to-day. It's really hard to put a face on an entire market. Personas help you do that. But you can't just create one persona and they'd be like, or like you can't, there's a process you need to go through. So you, with the provisional persona, you are putting together what you think you know about your users. You're using your own information. You're using maybe some anecdotal information plus some of your actual facts. But you know that you have still have questions. So you're, you're building this with a certain assumptions baked in. The next step is to go and test those assumptions. Validate or invalidate what you put in your provisional persona. Some of the things you're going to find out you were spot on. You're exactly right. Other things you'd be like, you know what? As we dug deeper, as we went out and did our quantitative research, we actually realized that this was a larger problem that they were facing. That's additional information. You put that and that is what drives and helps you create your refined persona, which is the finalized version. And I think of a provisional persona as a little bit like a hypothesis, right? This is exactly. our belief. This is what, and it's, it's a very informed hypothesis. It's not an uneducated mm-hmm. one. And I think it is a place that you can start to get the organization to understand directionally who you're working for. But then to your point, it is a hypothesis. And before we put all of our eggs in that basket, we do need to make sure that we go out and really refine and do all of the research that's required for it. A little bit like we were talking about with synthetic users from a user research. It gives us something, but it is yep. not the final answer. So there are tools that you can use for this. You know, because we started to mention synthetic users. And I think their value proposition is they can create the full persona for you. I would probably use synthetic users as for refined. You can also do it using Coco and build it right into Figma. And what's interesting about the way Coco does their personas is they add a section. We typically recommend that you really articulate what problems are is that persona facing? What are their goals? Tell me a little about their behaviors. What is their day-to-day that might impact how we are going to solve that problem. And also just give me some background information as well as maybe some demographic in a quote. Sometimes that that quote I really like because it's like giving the persona of voice. Yep. Yep. One of the things that Coco adds in is just opportunities. 
based upon that previous, well, the information we just discussed, what are some opportunities that you might consider to help this persona? So I like that they add in some things that kind of helps you think about. So it's a way to, as you go into that a quantitative phase and you're really doing the research to create your refined persona, it gives you some areas to kind of look at. There's another tool called Dell.ai and their approach is a little bit different. It's kind of a mix between like what Coco is doing and what Synthetic Users is doing. Because what they're doing is they're taking all of your data. And oftentimes it's based on things like Google Analytics and other data that you could plug in. So Dell.ai will look and go through all of your specific data and the people coming to your site and all the information that you can give it and say, okay, based upon what we're seeing here, here's how we would build your personas. And you can kind of you know guide it. So as you create your personas, it's really based off of your analytics and data. Interesting. Well, and that gets it a little more grounded, right? Yeah, yeah. That makes me feel a little bit like, all right, I, I feel a little bit better about this. While I really, I have to admit, the synthetic users' personas look great, we have to be cautious because, you know, we know that AIs can hallucinate. And just because it looks great on paper doesn't necessarily mean that it reflects your user base and your users. I also think there's a nuance sometimes to our specific market segment, our target audience that we want to make sure that is reflected versus something wider. I mean, yeah. And there's also, and this is an interesting thing to think about too, like, so let's say you have uh, Acme anvils and you have beta anvils and they both sell <laughs> anvils. <laughs> this is a terrible analogy. Anyway, but um, two competitors, right? But what happens if they're both using synthetic users, right? Where are you yeah. getting an edge here? How are you, like, there is a point of differentiation that can yep. come both from the execution of your solution, but all of that is really based on a deeper understanding of your audience than your competitors. Yeah. And if we outsource all of that, I'm not sure how that looks, right? Yeah. So you just were, kind of gave me a reminder of something that we teach in our class. I am a big fan of, you know, secondary research mm -hmm. using companies like Gartner, Forrester. When I worked in a large retail space, we would want to know how did people compare us to Target, Walmart, other, other companies? And that's it. That's helpful information. But that information is not, as you stated, it's not going to help you really differentiate because they're buying the exact same thing. And they're seeing the same report. So you're not going to uncover the next big thing just by using the same sources that as your competitors. You still need to go out and do that research to give yourself the edge. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's, I think it's really something to think about that if we, in all aspects of our product where we turn out and say, oh, I bet AI can use that. We just have to make sure that they are not the places that differentiate us and they're not the support systems for the things mm -hmm. that differentiate us, right? Yep, absolutely. Doesn't mean we shouldn't leverage the tool. So it just means we need to make sure we look at it well. Yeah, and I could go and give you lots of different horror stories where product managers have used AI tools, but then just took it everything at face value, didn't refine it, didn't update it, and submitted it as the final product, and it really backfired on them. So leverage these tools. Use these tools every day, but do not, just completely try to shortcut it and say like, now the work is done. No, it's helped you get to that initial yeah. space that, you know, kind of a place where like, all right, now I can go and quickly refine this, update it and articulate, all right, this is where I need to dig deeper. 
So we did a survey of product managers in the industry about a, about a month and a half ago, right? And we had about 650 people respond. And there were like three areas in particular that they were excited about the potential for AI. Mm-hmm. One one was the analysis of their own data, sort of what we talked yeah. about with Craftful. And I think you made it, mentioned notably. The second was like, can you automate some tasks so that I can be yeah. more strategic, right? We have that that question of, you know, how much time am I spending on strategic versus tactical tasks that I think there really, there's hope. I don't know that there was in our survey necessarily a clear vision of how it was going to take away the tactical tasks, but but I think there's a lot of hope there. So I think we should explore that. And the third yeah. one, which, which I know we're going to talk about too, is it was really interesting. Product managers saw it as a tool or a partner in creativity and ideation. Yes, yes. That's the area that I think is so great. And I mentioned it's good to have a sounding board as a product manager. And my first uses of ChatGPT were for ideation, to set up a scenario and then, all right, how might I uh, approach this? Or what are some considerations I need to think of? So because ChatGPT has such an just incredible amount of data, You can go into different topics and immediately start getting into the minutiae and you can start big. And if you learn proper prompt engineering, how to chunk things down, Mm -hmm. you can break down these problems and really go through and think and come up with these new ideas. So I do this just, I mean, because I'm a dork, because I think about like new applications I might want to do, like, like what might be fun just for an app for like me and my daughter. Like one of the things we love is different, like identifying different types of dogs. And we have this, we have two dogs and I put a limit, no more dogs. And you know, we'll always have at least two, but no more than two. So we'll talk about like, what would be your favorite type of dog? And we will look and be like, I wonder what type of that dog that is. And then we were thinking about like, well, let's go to chat TPT. Think about what if an app, we could just take a picture and it would tell us what types of dogs it might be. And then we came up with names for it. And I think one of the names was tail wagger tagger. And just like really fun <laughs> stuff like that. So, I mean, because I'm a dork, I like to do that stuff. But as a yep. product manager, you can see where this would be really helpful for them to start doing ideation and just, you know, kind of throw things at the wall and then start to kind of hone in and like, all right, this actually might be something we, we might want to do. Now, we, we talk about ideation and innovation in our design class. And we talk about specific approaches that you can take to reframe problems, to look at problems from different perspectives. That's another way you can use a tool like ChatGPT to think about things from a perspective and come up with ideas that, you know, you might not have other thought of otherwise. I think it really helps us sometimes get out of our own building, right? When, yes. a, new, when a new person joins the team, I'm always like, don't listen, like tell us everything you think because you only have the new eyes once. And once everyone's in here, even when we're trying to be like extend our thinking, there is still a framework that's in our head that, that we're yep. kind of all rallied around. Something like ChatGPT really helps you see things from a very different perspective naturally. It's also mm-hmm. a really fun tool when you ask it to change its perspective, right? Like, so you yes. do something you're like, oh, now do that as if you were a healthcare provider here, right? Yes. And, you know, there, there is some creative writing license that they're using in it, but it really does help you think some of those things through and just change your perspective, which can always be uh, one of the hardest things. And one of the things I've been doing is in our class, like just calling out, this is an area where you could use AI. This is where, you know, if you're having struggling coming up with your positioning statement, which we recommend is 25 words or less, 
Let's go to ChatGPT. Let's explain the, the, the persona, the market segment, the problem, the solution. And based upon that information, what are some problem statements that might work? So I, I really enjoyed seeing the way the students have leveraged this and even coming up with names of the products and features. That's always kind of like a fun part, but it's amazing what it can do. The, I, I want to go back because you mentioned automation. Mm -hmm. That's another area where this is how I think you should start. If you're new to AI, think about what are areas that you are doing where, you know, I, I wish I could do this. I wish there was an easy way to do this. Don't think immediately like, you know, this is just the best way to approach AI. And it's interesting. I had coffee this morning with a friend of mine who is a product manager in the AI space for Zapier. Shout out to my good friend, Hood. And it's amazing what you can do. The uh, things that the processes that used to be so tedious can be automated now. And as a, as a developer, I used to think about things like you maybe parsing text from a document and doing regular expressions. Now you can just take a picture of some text, send it through an automation, and it'll dump it all into a table. And there's so many examples like that. This is often a good place to start. If you're new to AI, think about what maybe is something manual that you don't want to have to spend so much time on. And then if you start to do a little bit of research, you're, I would almost guarantee you're going to find something like an AI tool that can help you. Awesome. All right. Let's talk a, a few other things for those who may be newer to AI or even not. Let's talk a little bit about things for them to remember and some of the like there's a lot of places and a lot of things you should 100% be embracing. And even if you don't embrace, this is not a time not to try, right? This is not yes. something that's going to completely go away, right? That's going to evolve. It's going to change. We're going to learn things. But like, this is not the time to be the ostrich with your head in the sand, right? It's a time to play. Mm -hmm. So yep. green light there. But there are some flashing yellow light. And there are some, there are some big open questions about security and ownership and access and accuracy that I think we don't want to not mention either, right? Yes. So one general, probably the first rule, and this kind of goes like is consistent with a lot of the things we've been touching on, is this rule of keeping a human in the loop. Yep. You do not just want to copy and paste what you're taking out of AI and use it as the final product. You want to then review it. Have that. This is what we mean by have a human in the loop. You need to put your eyes on it, go through and question it because these tools will, there's a terminology that they use is hallucinate. They will convincingly lie. And what they will write out seems very plausible. And it seems 100% correct, but you cannot take it at face value. You need to go and do proper research and make sure that this is a true. Now, there's help that's coming with this because tools like Bard and Bing, they're adding in, you know, it'll cite the references and you can go and click mm -hmm. and dive a little mm -hmm. bit deeper. And even if you're using ChatGPT Plus and you're using some of the plugins, like the web browsing plugin, again, you can go and say like, all right, this is where they got that information. But sometimes you don't have that. So we've seen lots of examples where I think the, the probably one that people know is the, the attorney who used <laughs> ChatGPT to file a motion that, you know, cited all these court cases, which are completely made up. And instead of going and looking to see, oh, are those court cases legitimate? He just asked. ChatGPT, are these legitimate? And what did it say? Of course they are. Right. I'm not lying. So, no. Yeah. Can trust me. You. <laughs> so that's the idea of keeping in the human in the loop to watch out for hallucinations. 
The other thing you need to do is just be careful about data privacy and using confidential data. Now, there are settings, if you are using ChatGPT+, where you can choose not to have your data, the input, be part of, you know, further added into the training model. I think that's a very important setting to, to check, especially if you are putting in some of your own personal confidential information in terms of like what your company is. This is like information about your users or data you've collected. You want to be very cautious about this. There's companies that are encouraging their workers to use AI, but not in a way where they're actually giving too much information. So just be careful about what you put in there because you don't want ultimately your data to be trained and then outputted to perhaps your competitors. And just a couple things on that. One, I think it's important these days too to understand your, you you touched on this slightly, your company's stance on AI and AI usage at work. We have seen some organizations, particularly in the fintech space, but you know, Samsung and some other ones where they have forbidden uh, or locked it down. And some are are very open and very encouraging and some have a sort of middle line, like you said, about how you do it. So I think think it's important to understand that for your organization. Also understand it will evolve for sure. And the other thing you touched on is the chat plus. It's not very expensive. It's very accessible. I think it's $10 a month. It's very accessible. You don't have a wait list anymore. And it really does open up some security. So I would encourage you to, to if you're, if it's possible, I think it's a, it's a good one. And also it's always available when you need it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Exactly what you um, want it to be. I gave a, a presentation in a conference a few months back called the business and legal risks of AI. And it was very, because there was a lot of other presentations at the conference about AI. It was a product management conference. Mine, this was the, you need to eat your vegetables portion of the AI hype because, you know, there's so many risks. So as a product manager and designer, there's times you need to make sure that you go in and check with privacy and compliance and the legal and HRG to make sure like, just so they know, this is how we're using AI. Do you have any concerns? You know, for example, if AI is helping you produce final products, like, is that any violation of contracts? Could that be considered a third-party vendor or something like that you need mm-hmm. to disclose? So you do need to go in, in addition to being keeping a human in the loop, watching out for uh, hallucinations, being careful about what data you input and what the settings are for the tools you're using. Also talk to the, you know, your legal privacy and know if you don't have a policy for AI at your company, apps. And you know, hopefully they're they're putting one together because yeah. we need those that guidance. I, there's also been questions, and I, I I've I've read some articles here, but I don't know that I have the full sort of point of view here about ownership of things that are created by AI. Yeah, and I think that that's an important thing to think about as well to make sure there isn't any openness there. One of the openness isn't the right word, but Uh concerns there, <laughs> concerns there, which also reminded me of something else, like. There are some other really great AI tools we didn't talk about and ChatGPT as well that like you can get some good code, right? Created mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. you can get some wireframes done and you can turn wireframes into work up, working, you know, sort of HTML files. Yep. This does not mean you do not need a designer or an engineer. It's really easy when I think one of the things that's really helpful here is to ask ChatGPT to do something that you yourself are very good at or that you know a lot about. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to get an answer and you're going to go, ah, it's close, but it's not quite right. You know, maybe it's 70%, maybe it's 90%, maybe it's 60%. That same 
like level of accuracy is going to be true when you're asking it to do tasks that belong to others, but you don't have the same ability to go, oh, I bet that, you know, that code's only 60% right. And it's really easy to be like, how about it kind of works? Or the wireframe looks good, right? And I think this is not a way to replace your partners either or to make your partners feel like they could be replaced, right? Oh my gosh. If you think that, like product people think, oh great, now I have these tools. Now I don't have to use designers. Oh, you're you're in trouble. And you know, they again, this is gonna help. And I have seen where people who are non-technical, who are not coders, have built tools and they've learned how they built, you know. Well, one person I, I met, he created one of the most popular plugins on Chat GPT called Prompt uh, Perfect. And he didn't have a technical background, but he was able to use Chat GPT to figure out how do I spin up an AWS server? How do I write the Python code? to do what I want this plugin to do. That's a pretty exceptional use case. And it shows that it is possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But even yeah. he would tell you, that was a lot of work. If I had a engineer there with me, it like, yes, we would have generated it faster, but I wouldn't have had to do so many iterations. It's the same thing. You want to be able to use these tools to figure out how can I collaborate better with my designers and engineers? Because if you think you're going to be able to do it totally on your own, just using these tools, you're, you're signing yourself up for a lot more work. Yes. But I mean, again, some powerful MVP, some powerful ways to, to show people what you're thinking and to illustrate it, right? It's, there's a lot of great stuff. So goods and bads. All right, Dan, my friend, we have talked yes. about lots of different things today. If you were going to have listeners do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would it be? The advice I've been giving product managers and designers when it comes to AI is one, Be using AI as much as possible, daily if possible. So find a community that it's very hard. It feels like you're drinking from the fire hose. You may feel like, oh, I'm already so behind, but we are still in the infancy of the AI kind of technologies revolution. So it's definitely not too late to start. What you want to do is figure out where the communities where I can keep up. And then those are going to help you identify tools that you might be able to leverage. And then choose one to go into. Maybe you are going to use AI to improve the way that you are building out your positioning documents or your provisional personas or doing your user research. But figure out a way that you can be involved and keep tabs and then start to weave it into your day-to-day. If I could give a plug for one community in addition to the AI forum on the Pragmatic Alumni Community, one of the communities that I've found has been really helpful is the AI Exchange. Mm. They have a great Slack group. It's for a very low price. You can kind of be able to kind of meet like-minded people that are kind of diving into the same space. It's a way for me to keep tabs on what's happening. And then from there, I choose, all right, that's interesting. I'm going to try improving the way I do this work using this tool. Awesome. Uh, Dan? As always, you are an absolute delight to have on the podcast. And I love it when you share sort of your perspectives, your experience, and sort of like you do such a great job of getting your hands in and trying these new tools and reporting back at it. It's incredibly helpful. Well, I I love it. Again, this is my happy place. I love talking about this with you, Rebecca, and I look forward to doing it again. Awesome. All right. That does it for today's episode, everyone. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product your company and your career.